0: Welcome to the Blood Cancer Experience, a podcast by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. This podcast connects people affected by a blood cancer to resources that inform, support, educate, and empower. When it comes to cancer, it's hard to navigate the unknown, and there are no easy answers. We're here to bring you the information you need to help make sense of every step of the blood cancer experience. My name is Montana Skirka, and I will be your guest host for today's episode. I work in the community as a yoga and meditation teacher and integrative wellness educator with a focus on providing patients with a holistic approach to mental health and well-being. I serve as a research associate in supportive oncology care at SickKids Hospital, as well as a cancer advocate. As a childhood cancer survivor, I am dedicated to helping others navigate their journey to health and wellness through coaching, mindful movement, and group facilitation. Today on the show, I am talking to Eric Pasarcha. Eric is 36 years old, born and raised in Oshawa, Ontario. He has a PhD in experimental medicine from UBC and works as a medical science liaison in the pharmaceutical industry, specializing in lymphoma treatment. Eric was diagnosed with primary mediastinal B-cell lymphoma in November 2021. He had a 10-centimeter tumor in his chest and a 7-centimeter tumor in his back that compressed his spinal cord, which led to severe mobility issues. He received two spinal injuries, 11 rounds of radiation, and five months of aggressive chemotherapy. He had to learn to walk again and has regained most mobility, but still battles chronic pain. Now in complete remission, Eric enjoys hiking, cooking, traveling, pub trivia, and playing Ultimate frisbee. He lives with his wife, Ren, their five-year-old son and four-year-old daughter in Coquitlam, British Columbia. Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, my absolute pleasure. Uh, Thank you for uh, the introduction.
0: So even just hearing that introduction, I'm sure it brings up a lot. Um, When you think back to your experience, like what are some of the main emotions or moments that come up to you, come up for you?
1: I mean, certainly just hearing it read back to me, like, I helped prepare that bio. But hearing someone else say it makes you really take pause. And just one correction. uh, Yes, I had two surgeries, not two injuries, but I had two very invasive spinal surgeries. And the whole experience was just surreal because I'm well educated in this field. And I've been working in the pharmaceutical industry in this specific type of cancer for so long. And you know these symptoms were popping up and, and no one really understood what was going on. And you know, even I was listening to another podcast about what it's like to be a young adult. And you go to the doctor and you say something's wrong and no one thinks cancer. They're like, you're 35, like right. you have back pain, go get a massage or something. You know, it was doing right. all those very, you know, <laughs> low hanging fruit approaches. But I just knew that it was more than that. I, I went to the emergency room four times in five weeks and just scrambling for an answer. And then finally, I get a cancer diagnosis. And it was almost relief because I finally knew the enemy you know, but it was such a, such a long battle. And, you know, even especially my coworkers, they want to know about the experience because they also work in this space. And it's almost like I have a bit of a PTSD about it. Like it's almost a surreal other world that didn't quite happen, but I do need to force myself to like get back into it, reflect, because at the time it was just writ, get through this, fight, fight, and, you know, doing it for your kids and making sure that you're going to be there. And now I can take a step back and say, like, what actually happened? You know, and I, right. I don't even know if I fully have appreciated that yet. It was only 15 months ago that I got diagnosed. So it's something I battle with, you know, on a day by day basis. We have two young kids. There's lots of realities of just getting them out the door for school and like being a parent. But really forcing yourself to like, OK, what are the lessons learned? And there have been a few, um, which I'm happy to dive into throughout this discussion.
0: I mean, it's such an incredible story, first of all, that you literally work in the field um, of lymphoma and then you're diagnosed with it. And also, um, you know, having just recovered so recently, I mean, I would say don't like rush the healing. You know what I mean? I think that PTSD is really real. And I think it's a part of this journey that not a lot of people understand or talk about. Um, and I think it's a, it's a real reality that when it ends, it doesn't necessarily end. It's just a part of it. And then there's a whole other thing that opens up and, um, it's a process, you know what I mean? It, It takes, it takes as much time as, as it needs to take. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think one of my problems is, you know, I'm a very type A personality, go getter, high achiever. And like, I know what I want and I want it yesterday, you know, especially with all the physical recovery aspects of this. Like my case was not typical. I ended up having these tumors growing around my spinal cord and actually growing on vertebrae and destroying my vertebrae. And I'm just missing pieces of my spine now. And, you know, I ended up getting a terrible infection that was on my spinal cord. It was just like all this mobility stuff. And I finally feel like I'm getting to a point where I can be more active. And then it was just, you know, I think it was January 1st, the first day of the new year, I exercised too much, overdid it. And, like now I have this back pain that's been set me back for a month, just because I felt like a superhero one day, um, and I did too much, you know, and this has to be a sustainable recovery that I still struggle to find how to do that properly
0: absolutely, no, and that makes a lot of sense and were you um a, a very like i mean, I guess kind of describe your life before this diagnosis, like were you a very active person, and
1: I mean like I'm not. <laughs> I'm not an avid gym goer or anything, but we have an active life. And especially, yeah, with two young kids, you're you're chasing them around and that, that keeps you busy. And we love to go hiking every single weekend. We live, you know, 15 minutes from so many different beautiful mountain hikes. So, yeah, you know, active lifestyle. And you know, so many times throughout it, doctors kept telling me like that was kind of my ace in the hole is being an otherwise healthy 35 year old man being able to tolerate these very aggressive treatments. And, I mean, it wasn't fun by any means. And just, you know, trying to envision if I did have, you know, underlying diabetes or some other issue, you know, it would have been so much harder. So that's something you got to tell people is, like, you know, take care of your health on a day-by-day basis because, unfortunately, you never know when something's going to creep up on you. And you want to be ready for anything that comes your way.
0: Yes, yes. Cancer treatment is not a joke. And, um it's kind of strange that you yeah no but you're 100% right that it's, it's it takes such a toll that if you're not otherwise healthy it's can't even imagine how difficult that would be um and your wife also um is a cancer survivor
1: so I mean kind of throughout this whole discussion like the backdrop for our family is just as the pandemic was starting I noticed that she had this like asymmetry in her face and this bump and you know Don't want to go into her story too too much, but you know she ended up having a tumor that was under her cheek in her face, and that had to be removed surgically. And you know it was a benign tumor, so there was no you know risk of you know death or anything. But you know traumatic surgery to your face and all the emotional consequences come with that. And just as she was starting to physically get better and get back to work herself, her father got diagnosed with glioblastoma which is the most aggressive type of brain cancer on Christmas Eve in 2020. And then he just passed away 12 days ago. So throughout the pandemic, we've had three cancer diagnoses in our family, three wildly different outcomes, you know, death on one end, you know, severe emotional issues to navigate on the other and for me physical trying to learn how to walk again and it's crazy we're just the three little musketeers getting through this and the pandemic seems like an afterthought and if anything it's been a blessing because there's there's an expectation that you're not going to be traveling around anywhere we could be a tight unit to support each other at such an important time when that was necessary
0: wow I mean it's such a beautiful outlook to to you know such an immense tragedy to befall (laughs) family and to have it all kind of happening sequentially at the same time like i can't even imagine um but the fact that you are able to view it as you know able to support one another through it i think that's really really beautiful because i think this stuff can bring people closer together or it can tear people apart and it's really beautiful that you were able to support one another um how have you been able to support one another so her experience was before yours is that correct sequentially or
1: yeah so you know, chronologically, she got diagnosed, had surgery, radiation, and then started her recovery. And then, just as she was getting back to health, her dad gets diagnosed. Oh and then God. it was within a year of that I got diagnosed. And then, wow. as I was starting to get better, he passed away. And you know, I, I said it's almost like a PTSD, and you don't, you, you don't quite understand what's going on. Like I'm still too in it. I have yes. some insights to glean. Yes, but, you know, five years from now, looking back, I'm sure I'll have even more to say. But, um, yeah, I I said before, it's all for my journey specifically. Like I just felt like grit was necessary. No time to really think about what was going on. Just get through each day and fight. You know, I remember like I had to, I wasn't well enough to go home in between treatments. I had to be hospitalized due to my spinal cord injuries. And at the, like they always gave me a private room. And I was like, ooh, I must be so charming or something. How do I always score a <laughs> private room? And then afterwards, Getting I'm afraid. like, Hey, dumb, dumb. It's because you're immunocompromised during a pandemic. God, of course right. they're going to isolate you. But in the midst of it, like I wasn't even just of that. And I think that I, I'm well aware that there's still aspects of that kind of, you know, outlook, just navigating all of the situation we're going through. But yeah, one day at a time right now. And yeah, we just like, you have to support each other. I know it can tear people apart. There have been incredibly stressful moments. And if you could focus on compassion, you know, mm-hmm. and people are going to make mistakes. Not everyone knows how to comfort you the way you might want to be comforted in a specific moment, but right. everything they're doing is from a place of love.
0: Absolutely. You know, no, for sure. Yeah. Because in the midst of this, you have two young children, right? So yeah. this whole, the whole chronology that you just outlined, um, You know, there's there's a lot going on here. Even it's, I mean, hard enough for two parents to raise two young children at the best of times. So what has that experience been like?
1: I mean, my kids are, this has really highlighted just the differences in their personalities. You know, my daughter has just been this big, endless bucket of love. She would come and visit me in the hospital. it just be so joyful and and cuddly and then when I finally got to a point where I could come home in between treatments you know we live in a three-story townhouse and I couldn't go up and down the stairs I was like relegated to the top floor and she would just come up and like she kind of invented these little games for us to play in my bed she would pretend she was buried in a blackberry bush and I would have to like cut away the blackberries and then get her out (laughs) it was things I could do with you know without having to get up and run around and she thought of it i was just amazed at how she wow. was able to come to me and i had a lot of like home health care and nurses coming to the home to you know help with the the pick line you know it's like a catheter that goes in your arm to deliver medications and she was like right there watching the whole time.
0: Wow. my
1: son on the other hand was and i would still say continues to be more anxious he would say things like i don't want to talk to daddy until he has hair or mm. my dad's the strongest man who can't run. He said that mm. to me one time. And I was just like, it was breaking my heart, you know, and couldn't quite immerse himself in the situation. And and I noticed that, too, with my father-in-law. When we were visiting him in hospice, my son just wasn't really able to, like, look him in the eye. But he knew the importance of the situation, wanted to connect. But I, I think it was a struggle for him.
0: Right. Of course. I mean, I think... That's the thing about cancer diagnosis, that it's a struggle and a trauma for everyone involved. And I think that you're highlighting a really important distinction that, like, we all handle it very differently. And we all have to kind of be treated on a case-by-case basis when it comes to mental health and it comes to emotional impacts. Um, We're all quite unique. And it's, I mean, your children are so young that it's like you don't even fully know.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and and I don't want to scare them either because you know cancer is a scary word yes absolutely and you know if they say okay well you know their grandfather they called him papam so they're like well if papam had cancer and he died and mummy and daddy had cancer are they going to die too oh yeah it's terrifying these are these are terrifying things to explain to a 5 and a 4 year old but you have to it it can't avoid it it's going to be dealt with eventually and and you, you want to make sure that you're helping them navigate it in a way that doesn't cause undue stress or, you know, fears 30 years from, you know? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And like I said, you, everything you do is from a place of love, but sometimes the way it, you know, actually manifest with all the other stress going on is not what you wish for. And you have to have some compassion for yourself too, saying, I'm not, <laughs> I'm going to stumble in this sometimes, but I'm doing my best.
0: Of course, because again, um, being a parent in the best of times, you're gonna, people stumble, right? Like there's Absolutely. like, I mean, I don't, I'm not a parent, but um, I know that there's no way to do it perfectly, and I know that it's quite probably the most challenging thing you can do. And so to have that responsibility on top of, of the health, you know, issues that you're dealing with, I mean, it's a mom, you have self compassion has to be has to be key um, in navigating that. But it sounds like your you and your wife's approach was to not necessarily hide things from them and to to bring them in, um, which is interesting. And, and you felt that they were able to kind of be a part of it to some extent.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't want to. They're not dumb, you know. They're they're right. people. They're just little people. And yes. you know, again, with my educational background, like I I didn't want to hide any of this stuff from them. And, and we found this one book called cancer party in particular that like it at a very kid appropriate level in a very accurate cell biology way like explains what cancer is
2: Wow. um
1: and so we would we read that, that book. book and yeah called cancer party as so we'd read that book and you know have a conversation about it and um there was another book that was called like mummy's too tired to play right now or something mm. like that and it's about going through chemotherapy and how Mm -hmm. drained you are you know you want to find ways of introducing these topics and and then you start realizing all the ways you can leverage that you know when anybody's having a bad day it's because so much else is going on in their life you know and just
0: right give people a break um Yeah. yeah it's a way to teach empathy and compassion for sure yeah I love that. To understand that everyone's going through something um, and they'll really understand that in an intuitive level. And also like the humanity of their parents, right? That um, their parents are people just like them that go through ups and downs throughout life.
1: Yeah. But I mean, it's crazy that they could both say that both their parents got cancer before they were five. Yeah. How many people could say that? You know, it's not, just... Not many. It's it's surreal, but it's our story. I don't know any other story, you know? So we just have right. to do it our way.
0: Absolutely. And um, you know, I know you you deal you that it was a very tra- traumatic experience, and I know there was a lot of difficulties. Um, and I'm curious about right now, like what your main challenges are, um, physically and and mentally, because you yeah. had, I mean, talking about the mobility issues and um, the chronic pain and you know the fatigue. Um, if you could just explain to us what it's like. What the challenges you face are for
1: sure, um so you know, it's funny. I went to BC cancer and I, I wanted to get my last MRI report to give to a physiotherapist, and I asked them,, like, how much can I get like information?" And they said, "Well, mm-hmm. they're like, all of it, it's yours." So right. I, I was like, "I'll take all of it, please." Mm-hmm. And this you know, ten minutes later there's this fat stack of paper that's still warm off the press. And I was like, and I started reading back on it. Wow. And even at the, even before I was diagnosed, turns out I had some disc degeneration in my lower back. Many people do. Dodds of people are walking around like that, asymptomatic, you know, I but, see. um, but then, yeah, obviously like the tumors were at the top of my spine, but the top of the spine is connected to the b- bottom of the spine. Fun fact. And there was all the trauma that happened. But right now what I'm facing is, herniated discs in my lower back that are causing me a lot of pain and like i said it was just one night of exercising and feeling too gung-ho and it set me back a month now so that's what i'm navigating on a day-by-day basis but i mean if we go back yeah to november 2021 i'd been having this back pain it was mysterious then all of a sudden it turned into like lightning sensation shooting down my legs one day and then a few days after that my thighs went numb And four days after that, I couldn't walk.
2: Wow. I
1: just woke up one day and I stood up and I fell right over. I I couldn't understand where I was in space. And I just fell right over. And it kept happening. And I went to the hospital. So like from that moment, I was (laughs) in a hospital bed. And I got to a point where like they would have to pump me full of fentanyl just to give me enough strength and pain relief to walk 30 steps. Because otherwise, I was in bed 24 hours a day. Wow, You know, in the hospital, you just lay in bed all day. One nurse told me you lose 1% muscle mass every single day. So it's like forcing yourself to get up and just move. But it was so painful. And, you know, the, there was a ton of pain in my upper back. The most excruciating pain I've ever felt in my entire life. I woke up for surgery and they had me to sit up and just raise my arm. And I had this intense feeling. It felt like the stitches in my back were ripping out. And I was terrified that I was ruining my surgery site. I was like, I can't right. do this. Why are you making me do this? Yeah. And then they were like, stop, breathe. They're like, they, they they put their finger on the stitches. They're like, this is where the surgery was. This is where your sensation is. It's, it's just a nerve feeling. It's nothing. Oh my God. Nothing's wrong. And I was like, are you kidding yeah. me? Like this, <laughs> something's wrong. And
2: terrifying. Um yeah.
1: And then I ended up getting an infection from the first surgery and had to go in for a second surgery and clean out that infection. And the pain was even worse after that.
0: Right. And also, like, it's terrifying when you, I would imagine, when you kind of recognize that your body can produce that much pain and it's, it's, you know, and and just out of nowhere. And um, kind of once you know that, it's almost like it's hard to, to not be afraid. I don't know. I feel that way. I'm not sure if you do too.
1: Yeah, I mean, fear is definitely an element. I, for me, I just, like, I keep coming back to the word grit. I was like, I can't be like, this. this can't be my life, you know, and and even okay, so when things started subsiding and and then I was more in like a I was in an inpatient physiotherapy center for a few weeks and and I came in and they're like, what are your goals? Mm. I said, well, I'm 35, I'd like to walk with no mobility aid, be able to run around with my kid. And they're like, oh, well, I was on a stroke recovery ward, and most of the other patients were like in their 70s and 80s, and their goals were get around the house in a walker. And I was like, right. that is not a good enough for me. I need to be able to do more. So I just, yeah, there was pain, but I just I wanted to get back to a place of quote unquote normal. And I remember one day you know, I was on long-term disability for a long time off work. But one day I felt good enough to go to Costco. And mm-hmm. I did a big grocery shop and I carried this heavy box of groceries up the stairs and I was like I just wow. I did like the fact that I didn't have to grab onto a handrail. Yeah. I, it, it was agony but it was like mind-blowing. Like I almost cried at the top of the stairs. Oh, that's amazing. Um, you know, and I you know, that was maybe four, five months. But it's just been steady increase, steady increase. And, uh, yeah. one doctor told me, like, you gotta look at your recovery kind of like in three month blocks of time. Right. And, and it's helpful. And like, just thinking back where I was three months ago or six months ago is the biggest motivator for me because it wasn't that long ago. You know, I had to use a urinal in my bed because I was in too much pain to get up and go to the bathroom. Right. You know? So, yeah. To only be facing disc issues right now feels like a blessing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and to set these goals for yourself and these, like, milestones, but also to give yourself some slack and some self-compassion and, like, finding that balance between, like, I guess pushing yourself but then also easing off and giving yourself time to heal. I think that sounds kind of like a an ongoing um, thing to navigate.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I feel like if you were talking to any of your friends who are going through something like this, this is the advice you'd be giving them. Give yourself right. give yourself some credit here. Take it slow, you know. But when it's you doing it, it's hard to take that same advice.
0: It's really, really hard. No, I I yeah, completely, completely agree. I mean, I like was diagnosed with cancer in like ninety-six and like was like declared cure in like ninety-nine. And I'm like, I mean, I've had ongoing health issues throughout, and and it's still an ongoing thing for me to to, remem- to remind myself um, because yeah. I find that it's, it's, it's affected my, I mean, you know, it affected my, wh- my life in certain ways and will always in other ways. And so it's an ongoing thing for me to con- continuously remind myself that I have to like, maybe take a step back and be a little more compassionate towards myself um, yeah. because you want to quote unquote be like everyone else, whatever that means.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know for
0: me. And um, then you kind of realize that there's no such thing. And, you know, every day I work with, now I'm back, at the kid's working there and I see the kids and I mean, I was, there's a kid yesterday that, you know, was talking, he's just diagnosed and he was very, very concerned about keeping up with his homework. And, you know, I just kind of want to tell him like, it's okay. You know what I mean? I mean? On one hand, it's good to have these goals and it's good to want to stay in touch with your friends and be on the same goals. And you know what I mean? Like, keep that in your mind. It's not about like giving up your life, but it's also about being like, But most of the other people in your school are not dealing with this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have a unique challenge that you kind of, it's okay for you to kind of give yourself a little bit of a break right now. Because I was definitely that kid too um, that never wanted to like give in homework late, you know, even though I was like so sick. Um, So finding, I think it's hard for us always to find that balance.
1: Yeah. And you know, it makes me think too, like every stranger you pass on the sidewalk, they've all got something going on too. And I've noticed, you know, okay, so now I'm back to work. I started part-time, you know, for three months and now I'm back full-time. And again, I work in the pharmaceutical industry. Our goal is to help patients every day. And now I am one and people want to hear right. my story. But it's almost like now that I've been open with my colleagues, I mean, I'm an open book. I hope you can tell from this conversation. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> afraid to talk about any of it. Um but I feel like now it's kind of given people license to come to me and talk about what else is going on in there.
0: Oh, interesting. You know,
1: and I've had all these, and, and, you know, and sometimes it's like, oh, we're having a dinner and I just want to have, I want to enjoy my meal, but people want to <laughs> tell me. Um and, and yeah, so, you know, some people are going on about their health issues or what's going on for their kids or their parents. And, and you realize like just how much stress. I think my biggest takeaway from the whole experience so far has been like meditation. And I can't believe I'm saying this. You know, I used to think like, oh, I'd hear people talk like that and, and think, oh, it's a little bit woo and okay, I understand <laughs> yeah. that there's probably some benefits and, you know, but I, I never found a way of doing it that was right for me. And then there was like one uh like social worker I was talking to, and she recommended this one app called the Tapping Solution. And this like cool. method of meditation where like you actually like tap on like acupuncture points on your body while mm-hmm. you're following these cues. Yep. That you know, so I have all this pain and I've been on many pain medications and opioids and and like, I don't want to, that's not the solution I want. Right. I don't want to throw pills at this. The number yeah. one thing I've had for pain relief has been meditation, specifically this tapping approach. And then once you kind of realize the impact that can have on your own body, yeah, it start, then you start branching off into all the things we're talking about, just, you know, a little bit more compassion for society at large
0: wow i love that i mean as a meditation teacher that really um rings true for me as well oh, okay and i didn't really, really fully
1: appreciate that okay
0: <laughs> yeah no i know that's why i'm like i promise i didn't tell him to say <laughs> um no i mean yoga and meditation have been for me huge in my own healing journey and um which is why I like doing it with the kids and um as a as an aid for, for cancer recovery it has been so big for me um, oh. and for recovery of, of all sorts, as you're saying, life itself is, is, you know, difficult for all of us. So I, and I, I, think that that's, that's beautiful. I mean, the fact that you kind of came to it with skepticism, but that you actually started to work with it and, and found, found the benefit of I think reconnecting to ourselves in a way that feels healing and, and that we're really deeply, I think it's a way the method to listen, without judgment it's a method to connect with yourself when things feel scary um a way to kind of ask yourself what's going on instead of maybe always relying on the experts around us who are really important and but also it's important for us to feel figure out ways to like feel comfortable with ourselves and understand ourselves and take a little more ownership mm-hmm. um, so i think it's really incredible that you were able to find that healing tool
1: i felt like it's something i, I was always I kind of like reaching the dark like i want to i want to uh embraced this uh you know meditation practice in my life I just never found one that was for me and I remember being in the hospital bed I just had a spinal decompression mm-hmm. and I was numb from my ribs to my toes and had these wow. crazy sensations and I'm doing this meditation and it's like focus on your oh you know, and it right. kind of works your way up the body now yeah, focus on this and see
0: yes and
1: yes. I tell you I went to like mars or something like i was not on this planet anymore because like just the amount of sensation in my body as it was being reinforced to focus on that it was crazy um but then you know people were giving me you know a free trial membership for this app or the other and you just got to find one that works for you yes there's no one right one for everybody but it's you'll keep looking you'll find something that works for you and it's been very helpful
0: i think yeah i definitely think that's true and that resonates a lot especially and also with yoga i mean there's so many different types um So I think I think with healing in general, I think especially because we're so used to going to doctors for help. Sometimes we forget that there is so many different tools as well that are available for us, supportive tools, but that um, we're all going to find a different mix that works for us. And then that's okay. And to like keep looking because it might be I mean, for me, like things that have been really helpful for me are like improv classes Mm, (laughs) and like which is, you know, um, meditation, like just lots of different things that I never would have. Expected, Um, but I think I think creative outlets are really helpful to express feelings. Journaling is really helpful for me, but some people hate it. You know, just something that allows you to connect with yourself and express yourself um, can be really, really healing.
1: Yeah, because it's really easy to slip back into the grind and feel a pressure to, you know, get that checklist done. But there's also other checklists for yourself that are important.
0: Yeah, definitely, those come first. Um, so the fact that you work in this lymphoma field and then we're diagnosed with it, I mean, like, that must have been such a shock. I just can't even imagine. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I was like, is this, is this actually life? Is this real? What, yeah. what is happening? I had a couple months of like some strange back pain and I was like, okay, I'll go to the chiropractor. I'll go for a massage. I'll stretch more. Like that wasn't working. And then when it started getting, again, with those neurological, like, like lightning bolts going down my legs and i was like this is different so it's just like what is going on and then i finally find out it's sweet (laughs) that's how i felt i was like okay now Mm -hmm. i know what i'm dealing with and also you know i had the luxury of knowing that okay so first of all they told me it's cancer i asked the doctor i was like listen i know you're gonna say you need a biopsy and blah 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 like speculate with me like what do you think it is Right. And he's like, okay, based on your age, I would say testicular cancer or lymphoma. Mm. I'm like, okay. So he left the room and I, he started grabbing down there and I was like, okay, I don't feel a lump on my testicles. So right. let's right. go with lymphoma. And I was like, I was like, okay, based on my symptoms, it's probably primary mediastinal B cell lymphoma. And like, cause you end up with a, a mass in your chest and it, mm-hmm. es- it kind of explains all the symptoms I was having and the primary or the, Average age of diagnosis is mid-30s. Boom. Wow. You know? Wow. And so in retrospect, yeah, the surgeon told me I'm the only patient he's ever had that successfully self-diagnosed.
0: Diagnosed yourself. Yeah.
1: But what was also... Re- like, the data on PMBCL is amazing. Like, it's like 90% mm. survival rate long-term. Right. You know? So right. if you're going to get a <laughs> cancer, make sure it's this one. You know? Like, that's how I kind of <laughs> felt. And... um I knew the road ahead of me, like it's, yeah. I knew I knew everything. You knew. I know the cell biology of it all. You
0: work, yeah. And I have personal
1: relationships with the people that treat this too. Like it's my job to go throughout Western Canada and talk to the physicians, so wow. I know, I know the the best people, and and there's one in particular. I just I felt like I had a great, like good rapport with, um, and I liked his personality, and I I listened to the way that he would advocate for his patients, and I was like, okay. It just feels right. Let's go for him. And I remember laying in my hospital bed, just found out I have lymphoma, and I started banging out this email on my phone. And I, the subject line was like all caps, like personal lymphoma diagnosis, need help ASAP. And I start writing it, and I keep looking up at that subject line. I was like, this can't. Right. And I was having, I that's the the first time in my life I had an anxiety attack.
0: Mm. I'd
1: never experienced that, and I was just like hyperventilating. I felt my pretty heart pretty warranted.
0: I would say pounding
1: out of my chest. And I called the nurse over and I was like, can you like just take my vital signs? I was like, I think I'm freaking out right now. And she checks it. She's like, yep. <laughs> she didn't show me the number. She's like,
0: she's
1: <laughs> like, you're right. Freak um, out. <laughs> and she just stayed there and held my
0: hand. Oh, I mean,
1: wow. and I just started crying. Wow. And I just had these like tears like streaming down my face and her name is Fatima. I'll never forget, you know, and she just, wow. she was just like, my sister has anxiety. I'm, I, I just want to be here with you. That's it. Just want to hold wow. your hand. And then out of nowhere, she's like, have you ever taken van? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, but give me it right now. You know, and then yeah. I was able to like calm down enough to actually write that email. No pleasantries, you know, just I'm at this hospital. I had this mask removed. This is what they're saying. I need your help. And he called me back six hours later. He's like, there's a million things that I have to happen. And I will Mm -hmm. do them all. He's like, you, relax. Wow. Try and rest. And I just, I put the phone down. Again, I just cried. I felt like I had this unique opportunity to, in the most incredible way, advocate for my own healthcare. Right. And I knew, you know, so I had a, a, a 10 centimeter tumor in my chest. The surgery was only for the one in my back. They didn't even try to get the one in my chest. Too risky to go in there and operate. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even get everything from my back. They told me there's still tumor on your vertebrae and on your spinal cord that we couldn't safely remove. Okay. And I know how aggressive this can be. Like, I just lived through having numb thighs one day and then not walking four days later. And yeah. so the the thought of just sitting in a hospital bed doing nothing was untenable to me. Mm-hmm. And I knew it would be like a month before I saw an oncologist. So I was just like, I need to get treatment now. Yeah. And, you know, even this week we had company meetings and had a really good discussion about equity of access of healthcare and how wow. many people don't get what they need for all kinds of system systemic barriers. Yeah. You know, and here I am. I'm like, OK, first of all, I speak English, <laughs> you know, right. I can actually right. talk to these people. I'm going to speak up for myself. I know exactly the road ahead. Be like that. Yeah. You think about equity of access. I'm the most unequal you can possibly be in one direction, you know, and I'm just well aware of that. But also, like, unapologetic. It's me. I'm not good. like I'm. I'm gonna fight. Uh, of course, ever it, anyone would. Yeah,
2: but it. Just... No, but I
0: think yeah, because that was gonna be my question is, has it affected the way that you do your job or the way that you see your job? But it sounds like it does. Like, of course, we all have to kind of advocate for ourselves and even within an unequal system and we all, you know, do what we can to fight for ourselves. And then now it sounds like you're also kind of recognizing the inequalities and trying to correct them in any way. So that's, I mean, that's really special that you have the ability to do that in a perspective to understand how important that is.
1: Totally. This is something that we, we wrestle with as a company is like, yeah, how do we make sure that the patients that need help actually get it? I don't know how that tangibly impacts my work right now, but it's a perspective. Like it's it's always in the back of your mind. And I think one of the biggest changes for me also from the whole experience is, you know, I had a choice between different treatment options and there's one that's definitely more toxic and and Mm. maybe more efficacious, you know. Mm. And previous me was always like, well, if the outcomes are about the same, why would you go through the more toxic one? And my oncologist, the best question he ever asked me was, What's the greater sin? Over treating your tumor or under-treating your tumor? Right. And I was like, you know, light bulb, aha. Like, I want to know that I've done everything.
0: Right. Right. So it changes and, your perspective. Yeah. Even in like the totally. best treatment options. Yeah. Because when you're it objective, you're kind of like, well. You're willing to take that risk more, right? Than when you're the person that you're like, no, 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 no risks, please. Yeah. But, you know, sense. at the
1: same time, yeah, I am. I mean, again, I'm in this phase of life with two young kids. There's yes. a lot of milestones. And a, you know. I just want to be around for my kids. Whereas, you know, it makes me have compassion as well for someone who's older on in life. And they've had a good life. You know, they get a yes. diagnosis and they say, you know, you know what? I don't want to fight.
0: Yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah, that was um, huge. No, for sure. That,
2: that is absolutely,
1: okay. you know, 100%. like, so, um, yeah, don't know where I'm going with that, but again, I guess. No, I think it <laughs> comes
0: back to, um, the difference, like, there's a difference between your daughter and your son, and there's a difference between, you know, you at 35 and your life experience and 80 year old, like, you know, and that medicine, um, has to be adapted to the unique circumstance of the individual. And that's when it's best served, when it actually takes the individual's uniqueness into account and works with us.
1: You said that better than I did. Thank you. Yeah.
0: (laughs) No, you said it great. Um. So I would love to hear a little bit more about how this the circumstance that you find yourself in now, um, how it plays out in your marriage and in your parenting and some of the struggles um, and lessons that you've found along the way.
1: Yeah. I mean, stress, 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 and more stress. You okay. know, it it's hard. Yeah. There's nothing easy about it, you know, and... Okay, so I knew something was wrong, but then all of a sudden... I'm in the hospital. I did up, I was in the hospital for 102 days, you know, and it just happened lickety split one day. You're not ready for that. And so.
0: No, you don't prepare.
1: Like all of a sudden my wife has to step up and be this incredible superhero. She already was, you know, but it, it like the, the amount that was just dumped on her and the uncertainty of what's going on is she's alone in the house, you know, and again, it's a pandemic. So people want to come and help, but there's limits there as well. And Throughout the course of it, she got COVID and had to self isolate for like ten days. And then right after that, my son tested positive. And so like here she is in house lockdown just her and the kids for like weeks, going crazy. And I'm in the hospital, like I said, you know, taking strong painkillers just to walk a few steps. So it's, yeah, just stress. But you know, my wife's been reflecting back, and you know, she she told me she I, I can share all this perspective of her. You know during that time like she there's so much to happen day by day you got to keep the family going just the mechanics of making meals it felt like she wasn't completely present for the kids in in times of their emotional need you know and now recognizing a year plus later when my son's having a meltdown knowing that like he's still processing what has happened and it just makes us low death. and we're not right. perfect we're absolutely not perfect with it but we try our best now to just like, okay, we know that this is really important to you, whatever you're, you know, obsessing about. Let's just have a breath together. You know, yeah. and it doesn't, it doesn't always work. We're Course. still, we're still struggling to find those things that do work, but just a recognition that you can't add to them getting amped up and right. them getting amped up is part of processing. So that's one thing about parenting you know I think also just as I was going through physical recovery I don't even know how many times I had to say daddy can't do that right
2: now. right you
1: know they want to go run around the kitchen island or whatever right daddy can't do that right now mm. down the stairs even still like I've been I've been really great for a lot of time and then I set myself back a month ago and even still now, you know, they want me to just carry them down the stairs in the morning. And then it leads to them crying and, and you feel so guilty. Yeah. You know, but like I just physically can't do it. And it, it's sad. So that helps me, that, that's a motivator coming back to what we said earlier, like to make sure that I am recovering in a sustainable way so I can do these things for my children. And then, you know, in terms of relationship stress, like, absolutely, there's a lot of stress that going And, you know, I remember reflecting back now, like, okay, so I was in the hospital for, like, three months. Then it was all this, like, okay, I'm coming home. Like, I was good, at, good enough, you know, to come home, and I still need a mm-hmm. lot of at-home care support. And I think maybe my wife and I both had this expectation that it was going to fix everything. Right. No! It's just a whole new can of stressful worms that brings with it its own challenges you know as I said like I was stuck upstairs I, w- I was stuck on the third floor of my house for weeks at a time until the next ambulance came to get me to take me to Vancouver to get my chemotherapy you know wow. and so there's like a depression that hits you when you feel like a prisoner in your own home right yet you're thrilled that you are home and that your daughter right. can come play some cute little game with you But I felt this, like, constant conflict. So, like, I wasn't my most present, supportive spouse that I could be. Like, another thing I wanted to bring up in this conversation that I don't think anybody ever talks about is sexual health.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask because... Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I've been on other podcasts through, you know, different patient groups. And when they say sexual health, all they're talking about usually is like fertility preservation. And if you're a young adult and you want to freeze your eggs, for example, like, yes, absolutely. That's a conversation that you need to have. But what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. is just like sex drive and you're young and, you know, sex can be something in your relationship that is a stress relief and it bonds you emotionally, you know, and it's 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 something fun to do while all this other craziness is going on. But men, like, just the treatments and being exhausted and I'm bald (laughs) and I can't walk you know like nothing about that situation made me feel sexy you know so um that adds another layer of stress to your relationship and yeah like I don't again I don't I feel like no one ever talks about it but it is normal I want to normalize it and it's something that you what's the solution like I don't know like The solution is open communication in your relationship. And again, just compassion. Like, this is temporary. Sucks right now. Unfortunately, when you're the patient, there's other things you need for comfort. And just being aware of what you need and what your limitations are and not feeling guilty about it is really important.
0: Absolutely. No, I think it's I'm really I was really excited that like to talk about that with you, because I do agree that nobody talks about sex drive. Um, And I think being a patient in general can really impact um, your sex drive, the way that you see yourself, your self-esteem. I mean, I too throughout my like teens and young adulthood, like was struggling a lot with that and with comfort, even in relationships at all. Um, and anytime they would talk about medical things, um, it was always, like you said, in the context of like kind of, it was never in the context of, of sexual health or dating or relationships or how it's going to affect you and all these other ways beyond like the acute medical setting. Um, so I think it is really important for us to understand that. And also, like um, the way that we think of our bodies. Uh, the way that, you know, even just being in immense pain, like you almost I don't know, for me, it was often about getting out of my body, not necessarily being in it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um And I think that that's been a huge thing for me to like relearn is like how to feel comfortable in my body, how to get out of survival mode, you know what I mean? In order to even be able to think about these other pleasures in life, because they don't. They go away when you are in acute stress all the time or when you're in fear or when you're, you know, thinking your body's against you or going to harm you. So I I think um, it's an important topic. Yeah.
1: There's a TED Talk. I think it's maybe the most watched TED Talk, but there's one line in it where I love it. It's like, most academics view their body as a way to get to meeting.
0: Wow.
1: (laughs) You know, I can relate to that. And so... Oh
0: my God. Everything you said there.
1: Yeah, it's like, this experience really puts you in touch with your body, and also sometimes in a very anxious way because I had these neurological issues and it you know impacts on my spinal cord. Like if I if my arm falls asleep while I'm sleeping now, I'm freaking out. I'm like, is this a symptom, you know? Right. Or I'm just more right. dialed in, which can be amazing, but also bad. But just uh, uh, getting in touch with my body has been a wonderful lesson from this whole thing. And I'm happy that I learned it at some point. Tough that I had to learn it that way, but it's it's a good lesson to take away from it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, wow, well, there's so much that we have talked about. And like, I mean, what's, yeah, I, I guess, what's another big, big lesson that you've learned? Or do you feel like you've kind of covered it? Like, what would you say to someone who's going through this?
1: Oh, goodness, I mean, it's there's no there's no right way to do it
2: you Mm -hmm.
1: know for my work you know we always try and put ourselves into the mindset of a patient I'm doing it from all of my intrinsic biases you know I only know the way that I would do it and I have done it there's no wrong answer you know but man like you have to reach inside yourself and really be strong because you know, especially in the beginning, I signed up for this very aggressive chemotherapy and I knew, okay, it's going to be six cycles of this, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And at the
1: beginning, you're like, yes, I could do this. And then you get to cycle four and you're walking or in my case, on a stretcher through the doors in the hospital. I was like, I can't believe I, I, I'm, you know, some people are like, yeah, I'm halfway done. I was like, only halfway done. Right. And you really have to, to dig deep in those moments and just, yeah, you're like, okay. I know I'm going to puke on this day and get a mind-blowing headache on this day. and
2: Oh, my God.
1: Here we go again, you know. Uh, but so it's hard. It, it, but, you, you know, everyone in your life is going to want to help you in some way. And being that's another thing. It's like Being able to ask for help. Yes. Do it. You know, it's that crazy thing. If someone asked you for help, if someone asked you to go visit them in the hospital... Of course he would still do it. So there's, yeah, there's no shame in asking for that yourself. I know for me, like, like I said, I had, I had an anxiety attack in the hospital. I'd never experienced anything like that. Mm. It's okay. You, you have to be comfortable to talk about these things. Months later, I had another anxiety attack in the hospital. And that was when I was like, I need to get home. I, you know, I yeah. just finished treatment. They, they take me back to another hospital. I get transferred into this bed. You know, m- they put my bag on a table and I, it was just out of reach Mm-mm. and I I, started, I just had this meltdown in my mind I was like I can't get my body over there to grab the bag to get whatever I wanted a sip of water wow.
2: or wow.
1: and I just started like crying and just talking to all the doctors I was like I need to go home I need to go home get me out how do I go home and so be like be honest about what's going on advocate for yourself doctors are just people too things get missed you know so be really dialed into what's going on in your healthcare, and when you think, when you hear something that doesn't quite jive with what you know, speak up. And if you if there's something you need, everyone's there to help you. You know, so like, ask for the help.
0: I love that. I think that that's like. There's a lot of themes that have been kind of echoed throughout all of the conversations throughout this podcast, and I think. Um, being compassionate towards yourself, letting go of perfectionism, you know, kind of relearning how to live, re- finding your new normal and with constantly striving and constantly working towards those new milestones, but like with a recognition that things are a little bit different now, right? Mm-hmm. I think another thing is was so beautiful that story about the anxiety attack and and having Fatima there and it just highlights like those little moments where it's just so important to be compassionate and those people that help you along the way in like what seems maybe like a small thing, but it's, it's huge when you're so vulnerable. And there's also lots of moments like that, that I can think of moments where I felt like I was not being supported and not being heard um, by medical professionals that were very difficult for me, but then equally as powerful, if not more so like the moments when those small acts of kindness went such a long way, um, which really comes back to like remembering that everyone's going through something and, we don't know what people are going through and being compassionate towards others. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's just a really powerful story and I really appreciate you um, sharing your insights and your time with us today.
1: Thank you. I think that's a perfect little bow to put a whole discussion. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) If listeners have any questions about this podcast or need any support or resources to navigate your experience, I encourage you to connect with the community services lead in your region. For more information, visit bloodcancers.ca. If you liked our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can find us wherever you access your favorite podcasts. We also welcome any ideas for our program, so we would love to hear from you. Send us an email with your suggestions or comments at info@bloodcancers.ca. Thank you to CIBC Foundation for generously sponsoring today's episode. Until next time, stay well and stay connected.